Today's episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15 is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Have fancy owners been getting a bargain on you, Darvish? And have we been drafting Mike Soroka a little too early? Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have but not had the three cold brews yet. Got ahead of me on uh, my, my caffeine question, so glad, glad to know that there's been uh, some caffeination in your life. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy in 15 on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Thursday, April 9th. I am Al Melchior, and I am here with Michael Beller, and uh, it's going to be all player profiles all the time, Michael. There is uh, really not any major news or even much minor news to speak of, so that uh, opens the show up for us to uh, dig into a couple of really interesting players. So uh, let's start with you, Darvish, uh, and um, he's a tricky one for this year, so... Uh, I looked at the projection systems on him. They, you know, and projection systems are by definition, you know, a little conservative. So they only have him only slightly better, really across the board. All the different systems have him only slightly better than he was overall in 2019, even though 2019 was really two completely different halves, almost two different, completely, completely different seasons for Darvish. So just as a matter of process of projecting and ranking and all that, Michael, uh, how do you address a player like Darvish? Um, I am willing to believe in the best that we've seen from a guy like Darvish because of how strong the underlying stuff is and how great he has been at his heights. Uh, you know, the second half you Darvish last year, you referenced it being two completely different seasons for Darvish. That certainly is true. And the second half is, I feel like, spiritually more who you Darvish is. Now, Darvish has had his uh, had his troubles. He's had his inconsistencies. He's had his injuries, right? Missing the entire 2015 season, missing a huge chunk, basically, effectively, all of the 2018 season. Uh, his first with the Cubs only made eight starts that year, and they were not good. He was injured that whole time. But the reason why I say that the second half of 2019 was spiritually who he is is because even though he has had those inconsistencies and those injuries in his career, I, th- I feel like a lot of people, if you look back over his career numbers, will be pretty surprised to see just how good they have been, especially if you strip out the eight-start, 40-inning 2018 that he made for the Cubs when, really, I, I mean, did he make even one fully healthy start that season? I'm not sure that he actually did. I mean, you Darvish, pretty consistent and when it comes to uh, strikeout rate, ERA, FIP, XFIP, pretty much all those numbers across the board have been awfully strong for you Darvish in his career. So that's why I am more willing to give uh, credence to what he did in the second half compared with the pitcher that he was in the first half of 2019, and I also think we should be giving um, the benefit of the doubt to a pitcher who clearly made a change in his approach and then reaped some major rewards 
from that change. Last year, the first half of the season, you Darvish was walking everyone in the world. Al, I think if you and I took uh, a combined eight plate appearances against him in a game, <laughs> then we would have drawn at least one walk. If we just went up there and, and just said, I'm not going to swing. I'm just going to stand here, and if he strikes me out looking, so be it. But I think that he would have been hard-pressed to, to not issue one walk to the two of us uh, if we just went up there and didn't even swing the bat because that's how wildly inconsistent he was with his command in the first half of last season. He rectified that in the second half. Did it result in a little bit more hard contact, a few more home runs? Yeah, it did, but... He was involved suddenly sudden putting these guys on base. He was giving up solo homers. When he gave up a single, there weren't two guys on base who had reached on a walk. And then what could have just been a, a whatever single uh, ended up being a two RBI single and a backbreaker uh, for you, Darvish. So I think we should give him a lot of credit for making that change and uh, some credit for being able to sustain that change uh, whenever the 2020 season does get underway. So all that wraps up into an argument for me that says I am more willing to believe the top end of the realistic range of outcomes for you, Darvish, than the bottom end. And it's been why I have been more aggressive in trying to get him on my teams. I'm willing to go a little bit above the ADP, a little bit above the average auction value to get him on my squad, because I do think that this is someone who is in that what, like SP 15 or so range in terms of ADP, who can be a legitimate staff fantasy ace. Yeah, well, in terms of ADP, that's that's uh, just about right. Actually, a, a little bit later, uh, Fantasy Pros, and again, that's an amalgamation of different sites. Uh, but overall, he ranks 19th in ADP among starters, and on NFBC, just one spot higher, 18th. Now, what I find interesting is that, as I mentioned at the outset of this discussion, that all the projection systems pretty much have him being the same pitcher he was, you know, not in the first half of 2019, not 2018, but kind of pretty much the, the pitcher that he was if you take either all of 2019 or, you know, some of his previous mm-hmm. seasons. So kind of taking the middle ground, maybe leaning ever so slightly towards the second half of last year. So um, I just looked at the rankings for one set of projections, and that's the uh, the ATC projections uh, that are produced by Arrow Cohen of uh, rotographs and uh, in his rankings uh, based on the projections, he's 15th and bear in mind, I find that to be a a pretty conservative projection. (laughs) And even with that conservative projection, he lines up as having the 15th highest roto value, greatest roto value among starting pitchers. So even if we're conservative with Darvish, he should have a little bit of a positive return on his typical ADP. So, you know, what you were saying about going a little extra aggressively for him, uh, I tried to do the same, uh, although I didn't wind up with him on any teams, but uh, that that should pay off. He's going to strike a lot of guys out. We know that. I think he's going to have a, a pretty strong offense at his back. I think the downfall of the Cubs offense is overstated. I think they have some obvious uh, issues on the offense, and that's why the sum didn't always, uh, or the whole of the parts didn't always equal what the sum should have been uh, last year for this team. It was a team that was a, that was more susceptible to long-term uh, lineup-wide swoons than you would think it should be if you just look at the names, but uh, they've rejiggered that approach again at the plate. I think the new manager and David Ross was the right guy to hire for this team and for this core where it sits at right now. I think the offense is going to be there uh, for the Cubs, which means the run support should be there 
for you, Darvish, as well. And again, it's just a guy that if you look back over the, the, the term of his career, when he's been healthy, he has more than often hit the higher end of what his expectations should be in terms of keeping guys off base. Last year, that, that, that first half of the season when he was walking guy after guy after guy was pretty anomalous. Um, I mean, he is going to, I think, probably have a maybe slightly higher than league average walk rate, but it's not something that's going to kill you or kill him. And it was in the first half of last season. And even if we just bring that down to what we expect it should be, if we bring it back down to his career average, uh, it doesn't even need to be the ridiculous, uh, what, like two and a half percent that it was in the second half of last year. Even if we just bring it down to, you know, seven percent, which I don't think is asking too much for a guy like you, Darvish, it is a totally different ball game uh, for him. And again, it's I don't want to belabor the point, but uh, the the change that he had in his approach uh, on the mound last year, and the change that he made to his uh, pitch mix and to his arsenal, abandoning the slider that he has loved ever since day one in the majors, and and he just you know last year he knew he couldn't command it for whatever reason, he didn't have the feel for it, and that shows a real maturity uh, in approach to be able to. Uh, give away a pitch that had been such a weapon for him his entire career and understand that he needs to focus on the other parts of his arsenal that he has a better command of at that stage. It just shows a guy who uh, really has an understanding of how to go about uh, what he needs to do and how to get uh, get hitters out with a consistent basis. So I think that we should uh, really look at all that and feel very optimistic about his prospects for this season. Uh, I absolutely agree. We're on the same page there. Now I'll be interested to see if we're on the same page about Mike Soroka. Uh, this is a, a pitcher that is really, frankly, an enigma to me. Maybe not so much the pitcher himself, but the public perception of him so far. And he had a you know, fantastic season last year. There's no question about that. Uh, the thing is that if you um, just normalize the, the parts of his stat line that are you know, more out of his control, uh, so, you know, not the strikeout or the walk rate or the, the, the home run rate, but uh, the strand rate in particular. Uh, Soroka did have a better than average um, uh, BABIP rate, but I'll, I'll buy that from him. Uh, I think he's uh, a real you know, master of command. But, uh, you know, you're talking about somebody who had really a very kind of nondescript strikeout rate, 20.3%. Certainly good walk and home run rates, uh, 5.9% for the walk rate, a home run to nine ratio of um, 0.72. And again, I buy all that. I buy the 280 Babbitt. But a 13-4 and record and an 80% strand rate, not sure we can count on those things again. The strand rate contributed to an ERA of 2.68. And again, projection systems also not buying that at all. They're running the gamut from... Uh, zips at 332 to steamer at 409 that's a pretty big range mm-hmm. there on Soroka uh, but you know if you again if you strip away the the win total if you strip away the strand rate you've got a pitcher who looks skill wise incredibly like Marcus Stroman and also arsenal wise very much like Marcus Stroman so ground ball pitcher who's probably who probably doesn't have a whole lot of uh, strikeout upside and despite that, could have a, an ERA still in the low to mid threes. But I took a look at the respective ADPs for Soroka and for Stroman. And Soroka's in the 90 to 100 range, and, and Stroman's almost exactly 100 picks later. So I don't know if, that's some, if that says that Stroman is being underrated or if maybe Mike Soroka's being a little bit overrated. But I'm just I'm going to throw one more pair of, of uh, data points at you. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, I've got them all. I'm very good at cataloging data points on the fly. Uh, 
All right. Well, this one's <laughs> from uh, this one's from a poll, a Twitter poll that okay. uh, I ran on Wednesday, knowing that we were going to talk about this for this show, and uh, I asked, "Who would you rather draft in a redraft roto league if there is a 2020 season?" Soroka with a 91 Fantasy Pros ADP or Marcus Stroman with a 192 uh, mm-hmm. Fantasy Pros ADP. So, you know, basically, who's going to be the better, the better value? Better value, yeah. And so, I guess, you know, really could just give you the one data point because it's a, it's a binary choice. But Soroka got 58% in the Wow. Point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. that was my reaction. Because when I put this, I thought, God, maybe this is really a little unfair. I mean, Strowman's going so much later. So I, I kind of got the result I was looking for in terms of having an interesting conversation. Because even with the ADP put out there, people still said, yeah, they'd rather draft Soroka. So I guess I'm just assuming the mindset of those who voted for Soroka was, uh, you know, I, I'll go with the earlier, the much earlier pick to get the pitcher who's clearly better. And I'm not sure I get it. So, Michael, do do you understand the perception, the relative perception of these two pitchers? I mean, I can try to explain it. One more thing that helps Soroka uh, before I get into that is that uh, Braves have a pretty good infield defense. And so if he's going to be a guy who lives on the ground, uh, it's not bad to live on the ground. You've got Dansby Swanson playing short and Ozzie Albies playing second and Freddie Freeman playing first. And then even Austin Riley or Johan Camargo, you know, no, neither of them is probably going to win a gold glove at any time uh, in their careers. But not like they're, they're you know, this like stone-handed third baseman over there either. So he's got a, he's got a pretty good infield behind him for a guy who's going to live on the ground uh, like, like he is, like he did last year, and like we expect him to based on his arsenal and based on his uh, track record. Um, I think it is, I think if I had to explain why people are so strongly not only drafting Soroka compared with Marcus Stroman, but are just putting Soroka as a top 100 pick overall, I think it's got to be a combination of the uh, success he's already had, uh, the draft pedigree, right, a first-round pick uh, a couple of seasons ago. Uh, the extreme youth, we're talking about a guy who is not going to turn 23 until the first week of August. So I guess we can take an over-under on what happens first. There's a Major League Baseball game or Mike Soroka <laughs> turns 23 years old. Um, or And the, just the Braves, right? I mean, I, I feel like this is, this is totally just a supposition on my part, but I feel like guys who are on good teams, uh, both the, the previous year and expected to be good teams in the current year, wouldn't be surprised if their draft stock gets inflated by being a part of that team. So I think all four of those factors are working in conjunction to build up Soroka's uh, perceived draft day value a little bit higher than it deserves to be. And I don't mean this to sound like we're casting aspersions on Soroka because I do think he's a good pitcher. I do think that we can uh, expect, given the success he's already had, the, the draft pedigree, the extreme youth, that you know there is some growth, there is uh, some some higher some potential ceiling lift coming for him not only this year but in years to come 22 years old like I said so there's still a lot of growing for Mike Soroka to happen the thing that concerns me and the thing that I that I just can't get away from and why I don't have any Mike Soroka this season and I don't think that's going to change in the one auction that I have remaining is that I I mean he has just never been a strikeout pitcher if you go back uh, to his time in the minors there's just never any big strikeout numbers at any point, even though he was always, he had, he was a, like an age to level darling, right? He was always uh, young for the level he was at. There are still no strikeout numbers. I mean, we're not even approaching a strikeout per inning at any level, any stop in the minors. And that really concerns me from a fantasy perspective. There are plenty of examples of guys 
who can be really successful real-life pitchers uh, without being these monster strikeout guys, right? I mean, we can go on and on. Dallas Keuchel had some great years without being a huge strikeout guy. Kyle Hendricks' best season, he was striking out more than a batter per inning. But beyond that, he's never been a strikeout per inning guy and still has had some really good years for the Cubs. Guys who can live on command, live on the ground, keep the ball in the ballpark. That's what Mike Soroka is going to do. We should expect him to do it this season. I think he's going to be a really, really good real-life pitcher for the Braves. But he is not going to strike a lot of guys out. That's just the bottom line. We have to expect that right now. And that means a low fantasy ceiling. And let's just say the Babbitt uh, does uh, does go against him a little bit this season. Or guys start to figure out his arsenal and he does give up a little bit more hard contact. Just has some bad luck on, uh, on balls in play. There is a real negative way for his ERA and whip to go this year, and that is not going to get offset by the strikeouts. Let's just compare him to you, Darvish, for a second. Even when Darvish was terrible in the first half of the season last year, he was still giving you a ton of strikeouts. He was still you know, going out there, and he was pitching four and two-thirds innings, and he was giving up four runs and ten base runners, but he was also striking out like nine guys in those four and two-thirds innings. So you at least came away from it with something. If the bottom falls out of his ratios, Soroka's ratios, that is, you're not going to come away with something, and that's really where the risk comes in for Soroka. So if he and, if he and Stroman were equal, or if he, even if he was um, maybe around a round and a half ahead of Stroman, then I think I would rather have Soroka, right? There is clearly uh, some striving, some growth to be had for Soroka, whereas Stroman is who he is at this point. Maybe Soroka breaks through and is that better. I'm willing to pay that tax on the possibility of a 22-year-old finding another gear but I am not willing to go 100 picks <laughs> yeah. earlier. That is nuts when they are, as you said, this was a great comp by you. Very similar statistically, very similar in their arsenal and their pitch mix and in terms of what they, how often they throw what they throw. So I really like Mike Soroka. I really like this Braves team in general. I really want to see him succeed. I want to see anyone succeed in 2020, right? But uh, I do want to see Mike Soroka uh, succeed because I like him. I like watching him pitch. I just think because of the low strikeout upside here that you are really paying a lot for uh, uh, basically what is right now an assumption that what he did in 2020 is something that's going to be sustainable throughout his career. Yeah, and I also just want to echo what you said that, you know, we're not trying to cast dispersions on Mike Soroka at all. If anything, I think Marcus Stroman uh, should be drafted a little bit earlier, and he was somebody I was mm-hmm. targeting mm-hmm. because he was a value uh, at the, the ADP that he was going at. So I think there's a happy medium somewhere in there. Like you said, you're willing to give Soroka a little extra benefit of the doubt because of, of the youth and, and uh, the chance for growth. Uh, I would go, be able to or be willing to go more than a round or two, maybe four rounds earlier. But yeah, this is a just a Grand Canyon size uh, chasm between the two mm-hmm. in terms of ADP, and I just found it really, really interesting. So, uh, Michael, I really appreciate you uh, helping me break that down. Look at that. And We're in agree. I think this is the first time we've talked about multiple players on one show and been in agreement on 100% of the players we talked about. Yeah, I think so. Mark the date. <laughs> April April 9th. <laughs> All right. April 9th. We're recording this on April 8th. But April 9th as we're as you're hearing it. All right. <laughs> well, um and uh, going back a day to uh, Wednesday show with Derek Van Riper, he and I talked about which was the big news uh on that day, which was this uh, Arizona plan that was being uh sort of thrown against the wall by the uh MLB Players Association and and uh, Major League Baseball. And uh, so now there's a piece on the Athletic by Nando Defino, fantastic piece that really covers a lot of the different angles of it, and he offers some alternatives uh, to to this plan, which I think there's a growing consensus that the plan itself is 
probably not realistic or doable. But in any event, I'll just leave it at that. You need to go read the piece, uh, What MLB's Rumored Arizona Plan Means for Fantasy Baseball by Nando DeFino. And that's going to be it for this Thursday edition of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, check out our 90-day free trial. That is still ongoing, as is the 40% discount office subscription. Uh, to get that, you just go to theathletic.com slash baseball in 15. And everything that we do from columns to podcasts and everything in between is a part of the subscription. And if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that lets you leave a rating and review, we thank you in advance for doing that. We greatly appreciate it uh, if you do take the time. So for Michael Beller, I'm Al Melchior, and we'll be back here on Friday.